it's, it's bigger ideas that's happening and it's a bigger space that you can exist in yeah and so i needed to see that bigger space yeah black creativity is unstoppable the studio noise podcast takes you into the studio with black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture you get to feel all the inspiration technique and passion behind the people making paintings making sculptures making prints making noise it's the studio noise podcast with your host jamal barber it's the noise yes it's your boy jay barber Artists should always be looking for new challenges and ways of thinking. And when I got the chance to challenge myself with going to grad school at Georgia State University, I embraced it. Now, three years later, I'm finishing the program and I'm leaving with a new body of work, my painting series called Fullness. I started this podcast the week I moved into my grad studio with Jiggy Jazz. We remember Jiggy Jazz. What's up, girl? So it's only right at the end of my grad school journey we talk about my thesis work going back to school what's next all that good stuff but instead of just me talking like i did on a thesis tapes which is a great prep for this conversation go listen to the thesis tapes if you haven't already i brought in friend of the show studio noise fam lauren jackson harris co-creator of black women in visual art to be guest host and give you guys a real interview with your boy <laughs> so it's not just me just sitting around running my mouth all the time. You can go to the website, studionoisepodcast.com for more information on the episodes, transcripts, featured articles. We'll have a store soon, right? Merch coming soon. I got to design it up real quick. Uh, you know, times <laughs> it's a one-man operation. What y'all want me to do? I'm, I'm putting it together slowly, yo. And you can hit the button and join our Studio Noise Patreon like Catherine Weiss. What's up, girl? How you doing, yo? Appreciate the support. You can support the show. Help me keep highlighting the amazing black artists that are making it happen right now. Thank you for checking out the show. Do me a favor. Why don't you go ahead and email this link to two art lovers. Let them know. Tell them it's the noise, baby. We back. And we got Lauren Jackson Harris and your boy Jay Barber talk about fullness after the break. It's the noise. Yes. This is Patrick McCoy, art collector from Chicago, uh, co-founder of Diaspora Rhythms, and this is brought to you by Studio Noise. All right, so the button, the button is here. You're recording now. You Ooh, charge. we on? It's on you. It's we on you. On. Oh, man, passing the torch. <laughs> this is pressure. So... <laughs> Jamal Barber, in all his glory, has given me this platform of Studio Noise to interview him about his new work. There you go. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> nervous. Why my heart beat? This is what you and Jasmine used to feel like? Oh, yeah. Lord. If it's going to be anybody, it's going to be you. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the amazing guess. Lauren Jackson Harris. She yes. want to introduce herself. Yes. I, I guess I didn't even say my own name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am Lauren Jackson Harris. Um, I am a local and international, soon to be, uh, soon to be international. I hope I'm putting that into the universe. There you go. Um, an independent curator, independent arts worker, and actually, you know what? Ironically, today we're celebrating while we're doing this interview because it was my last day of my full time job. And yes. I'm now now full time. You out there? An now. Independent. <laughs> <laughs> all right so this is my celebration i'm interviewing jamal on my last day of work that's what's much. up yeah Yo, this is your first day of work well, your, your first, new job. first and yeah. last first and last right <laughs> it's all the things so we're just going to talk a little bit about his new work about him who he is um and hopefully we answer questions for you that you may have sitting at home or when you visit mint that you're going to see his pieces and that you'll understand a little bit more through this conversation yeah um, and make sure you come to the artist talk on May 16. Yeah. Or you would have already gone to it by the time this is released. So <laughs> you better have gone. Right. All right. So we're just going to jump in. I really just want to go off the bat and just tell us about you. I'm going to do the quintessential. Tell me about yourself. Oh, about me? Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jamal Barber. I'm a Carolina boy at heart. Uh, small town, Lewis, North Carolina. I always tell that story because. It's so much a part of, yeah. like, what's shaped my worldview. The Southern. Yeah, that, just that Southern rural mm -hmm. country life, North Carolina, riding bikes, hanging out, being black, like, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and so, like, let's see, grew up in a small town, 
left there, went to East Carolina University, got my degree in graphic design, communication arts, illustration, and followed my wife, chased her all the way down hey, to Atlanta. To chase. Yes, Jen. Yes, Jen. <laughs> and so when I caught up with her, like we were here. And Atlanta just ended up being like a great spot. Like yeah. I worked my way into the artist community, uh, doing shows and all that good stuff. And I don't know, just kind of developed myself. Okay. And, you know, met a bunch of people, like, you know, saw saw some good stuff. Uh, just focused on my artwork and just kept growing. To like, me, some of the best artists, you know, some of the better artists also study graphic design. Why do you think that correlates to one another? You know what? I picked graphic design because it's one of those things where uh, you can't go and just study art. Yeah. Like, it feels like that. Like, small towns, like, you don't be an artist. Like, you don't do what? Like, what you going to do? <laughs> That's why it was my major. I yeah. too. Exactly. My parents looked at me crazy when I said that. Exactly. Yes. It's like, what else you going to do? And yeah. so it's like graphic design seems a very practical artistic thing to do like yeah. i'm making logos you can see it like you can go into marketing branding exactly. several different you can fields, do yeah. illustrations for like yeah. magazines that yeah. everybody know magazines so like it makes it just makes a lot of sense just to yeah. go that direction but i think that influenced my work a lot too oh for sure yeah how so okay i guess you know let's let's talk about your style of work because now it's evolved yeah but your initial style is printmaking to me, that is a form of graphic design because when you're, I, mean, I guess the old school type of graphic design, you did have to do a lot of handwork. Yep. People don't use, you know, the old school grids anymore yeah. like, like we used to <laughs> back in the day. But talk about how, I mean, how was it an easy transition from graphic design into printmaking? I think so. I think it, it, it suited my sensibility mostly because like graphic design teaches simplicity. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I, I picked up from it, like mm -hmm. simplicity, especially like you design a logo. It needs to communicate at every size as quickly as possible yes. so people know it. So it's kind of, I took that sensibility of the clean, modern aesthetic and that worked directly into my prints. Okay. So I, I, it was a, it was a big direct translation, like, especially like the way I use type in yeah. my screen prints yeah. and um, the way I position my figures. Like, you know, you look at my woodcuts and it's just bold, solid design, yep. like yep. minimal, like clean, like, you know, that's just my aesthetic. So. It worked. It was so smooth. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, I, mean, right I would think it. definitely relating those two together. Um, I guess when you when you first started printmaking, what was like your what was the initial premise? Because I know from from when we met, your work is always centered around blackness. Right. right. Yeah. I guess when you started out, what was it initially? I think Has it always been black. You know, it, it has in a way, but it was more intentionally black once I started screen, screen printing. Mm -hmm. um, because if something about like making it, um, so many switches that happened when I was doing watercolors and acrylics before, right? I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I was that good at it. So when I switched to doing printmaking, it was kind of like a reset. It was okay. kind of like a moment where, all right, from this moment forward, I can decide to do whatever it is I want to do. Yeah. And so I just made the bet like, all right, when I close my eyes, I see black people. Yeah. And like all the stories that from Littleton, like growing up and all the people I know and just that understanding of what it means to live and exist in kind of this world. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all right, if that's what I see, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Like, so from that point forward, I think especially like Big Mama was probably my first like Big screen Mama. print idea. And like that. If you go back to Big Mama, you can see it. Like a, yeah. it was just a complete switch to these are the people, these are the stories. Your influences. This is the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. This is my portrayal of blackness in my work. Yeah. And kind of going forward. I mean, you talk it. about that throughout your thesis. Like, I mean, blackness is the center. Yeah. Essentially. So yeah. the first time I was introduced to you, it was through Bright Black. Right. You were we were at the Southwest Art Center. And it was with multiple. It was with multiple artists that were based in Atlanta, such as I think Charlie Palmer was a part of it, Natrice Miller. There were several few that were in that were also like a part of the installation, yeah. the, ex the experience yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about it, I still have that T-shirt, which is great. <laughs> that was a great shirt. <laughs> it was a great shirt. It's still a good shirt. Um, but when you talk about bright black and going from bright black to fullness and all that in between, you have the Black Love series. You have you have the Afro series, like you literally can, you identify so much in that space and your work just screams it, right? It's not always, you know, you have had some really pivotal pieces that capture, you know, slavery, our oppression, our sadness, our strife, our struggle, but you also have a way to bring in the light mm -hmm. 
you you shine light on what it is what it means to be black the joys of it yeah and fullness is kind of like your quintessential like we is everything kind of <laughs> that's what i feel i'm like we are it we are the bright yeah um and so let's talk a little about the range of your work and how it's grown into gone going from bright black to black love to 400 to the black baby series like do you feel like it is a it fullness from there from now is a it's a it's a real transgression is it a, is it a progression i guess i'll say is it a progression moving forward like now you've changed your medium but you're still centering blackness yeah right yeah. I think so too. And then, uh, so bright black was, um, if I'm going to do work about blackness, like what does it mean? And kind of, that was the kind of the foundation of the show. It's like, all right, once and for all, I'm going to find for myself and other people, you know, come along for the ride, Mm -hmm. but for myself, what do I mean by blackness? And so every piece in that show was kind of exploring that. Like the council was about that. Mm -hmm. The council Mm -hmm. was about uh, you know, understanding everybody's perspectives of blackness to equal to your own. Yep. Like I had the American Color Theory book, mm-hmm. which was about like how the portrayals of society are processed through color theory, like actual artistic color theory and how it relates to race and how we understand the world. Because right. without it, you can't understand what's right. happening to right. you. Right. And I think that that was a, was a big the transition from bright black to fullness to me is more about decoupling the conversation from whiteness. Right. Mm. And so that blackness must be, has to be separate from whiteness Mm -hmm. in every way possible. Yeah. Right. And so in a lot of my pieces, like to be free, to be free is about a black man. And the contrast of the white hand pulling on the shirt. Exactly. Like in, in the struggle with, this white supremacist right. system as they're looking up and trying to move forward exactly right right and they had the, the blocks from the identity series yep. which is about you being yourself and mm-hmm. the interaction that you have with civil authority mm-hmm. uh as opposed to how you feel about yourself like mm-hmm. your own pride so a lot of these conversations have that interaction yeah and it would it just came to the point when the pandemic came around that didn't feel like a great conversation to yeah, have yeah. while I'm sitting in my were, house. Everybody was having it in a way. Yeah, and and it it didn't feel because you've already done the work in that space. Yeah, I've done the work in the space, and and that conversation didn't feel fulfilling. Yeah, right. Because if you are like even at when you're out and you you're you know you can go to the protest, you can organize, you can do all this stuff mm-hmm. outside of your house. Uh, when we're locked down in a pandemic where yeah. you might catch a virus and die. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like. Why would I go further yeah. deeper into the black, <laughs> black struggle? The right. Yeah, it's not, not right. my first thing on my mind. Yeah. And so there has to be something different, right? There has to be a different way to express blackness when in the moments that I'm here locked down in my house with my kids, that's a different blackness. Right. Right. And I never really talk about that part, even mm-hmm. though you spend most of your life there. Yeah. Like, but in between, I would say in between Tamir Rice and Freddie Gray and George Floyd. Yeah. And whoever else is the next the name on the others. list. Yeah. You live your life. Yeah. Like you, you have a lot of stuff going on. You have a family, you have relationships, you have friends. You, you got to balance you know, all that. Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. So all the other stuff is the stuff I never talk about. Right. Right. And so if you only focus on the struggle then I say it in my thesis, then the only thing my son is inherited in the struggle. Is the struggle, is the anger, yeah. is the pain. And you can't have that. Like no. you have to be, you have to show the whole perspective of a person, like the fullness, like the full breadth of you as an individual. Like what is, what is Jamal and what is he about? Other than just angry at being, yeah. <laughs> you know, being, black. being beat up by the <laughs> right. police. Like, you know, yeah, right. it's, it's more, it's more to life that? than that. It's more to blackness than that. So almost in a way, this process for you was, it was healing. It sounds like. For oh, one. it was definitely, yeah. And it feels as though fullness is not just the fullness of black people, it's the fullness of you. Because you, you, you said fulfilled, you felt fulfilled. So the fullness is also you leaping into this new realm of a style of work mm-hmm. that created a fullness. Like sometimes I tell people like when you're nervous about something, because you were nervous about this work. I was super nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you were very nervous about this work. But, you know, I, but I think the excitement that people saw and sometimes that growth that an artist has, you you have to kind of attack it when you feel it. Yeah. When you go deeper and you allow that nerve to come on and you create work from that nervousness, 
to me, that's just another layer and a le another level of um, artistry that you can reach. So I guess in the process of you being nervous and becoming full, how do you feel now, you know, now that you're on the other side of it? Now the work is up, people are responding. Do you still feel that same sense of fullness and, and completion and healing in that? You know, I don't I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Because even when the show went up at Mint, that was the first time I had seen it all together. Yeah. Right. Because I was I had still been working on pieces, even like like you came to the studio mm -hmm. and saw some of mm -hmm. it. You didn't even see the whole show. Yeah. But, I, right? but together. Yeah. And yeah, and, they made sense completely. Yeah. So it, it makes a lot of sense to see it together. And this is the first time I'm seeing it. So I don't even realize like all the stuff that I put into it. Wow. Like I have an idea. And like right now, when I look at the show, I just think, all right, I made some good decisions <laughs> like along the way. Like you literally, that's, that's the only thing I think about. It's like I remember yeah. each stroke. I remember the revelations. I remember like mm. picking up a piece of paper and like, oh, this should be a leaf shape. Like right. I remember like all the little stuff yeah. that went into it. And I feel good about that stuff. And so because it feels really intentional. Yeah, it does. And I, I, in the process, I was so lost for so long. Why? Like, painting. Talk it, about the loss. What was the loss part of it? Because you, you switch in mediums like and I'm and it basically I was questioning and when I started painting, um, I questioned everything that I was doing in my print practice mm. into what should I bring in to the print to the paintings. Because the paintings don't have to be the same. They're no. not the same medium. So all the different language, like using the color black as a cipher mm -hmm. for blackness, mm -hmm. right? All the way that I handle my figures and my shapes, the mm -hmm. way that I put patterns into it, um, all of that stuff. Even like the, back to what I was saying about aesthetics and design, like simple, bold compositions. Yeah. They don't have to be simple and bold anymore, yeah. right? They can be other things. So if you question every part of your practice, so nothing is nothing is correct. Yeah. And then you rebuild it from the ground up. That's yeah. what I did with painting on top of me in my mind, never feeling like I could paint. Yeah. Right. So I, I've always if you listen to the podcast, you hear me say I'm a failed watercolor artist. <laughs> and before, right? Watercolor is so, not easy. It's not. It's, it's super all. hard. And so I look at Richard Clark stuff like what? Oh, in yeah. The world? He's amazing. Yes. Like some of the stuff you look at is like, how did he do that? How? And, yes. and then you try it and you really wonder, it, like, right. <laughs> in the world is too. You're like, darn. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't work. Right. <laughs> but that's the process of an artist to try. But the fact that you tried and you kept working towards it, because I remember you you were, you were did an Instagram live some months ago, like early into the pandemic. Yeah. And I remember going on live. I'm like, well, what's that color in the back? <laughs> and I remember like DMing you like, what is that? And people were in the IG live conversation like, we see something. What is that? Go closer to it. And you kept like turning your back and trying to not to show it. And it was it was really funny because I could tell that it was just a new process for you and that you yeah. hadn't even thought about it or or gone that direction fully yet. Yeah. And so now we're all here and you see it all together. Um, I really want to read an excerpt from your abstract. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing. Unless you want me to. No, it's up to you. I wonder if I should. Should I read it like... You're the host. This is <laughs> oh, I oh, I forgot that. Um, I am going to read the whole thing. This is the abstract from his thesis to give you guys a better understanding of what fullness is. Fullness is an exhibition of paintings that manifest self-affirming blackness separate from a world that is unwilling to engage with it. Blackness refers to the black racial identity that embodies the collective consciousness of melanated people. Removed from the confines of enslavement and systematic oppression, black people become free to edify themselves visually and spiritually. In this body of work, I reimagine, he reimagines, and rebuild <laughs> and rebuild black identity with unexpected forms through mixed media paintings. The works employ layers of color and abstracted shapes to represent the black body, not only as an ethnic identity, but as a psychological state of being. Fullness establishes a visual framework for black life by picturing how our world could hold blackness as sacred as, and worthy without conditions and limitations. So that last line without conditions and limitations is interesting because you went beyond your own limits to produce this work, yeah. right? And when you see the pieces together, they're so layered and so um, there's so many levels to it emotionally. Mm -hmm. So building on that, when you went through each layer, like talk about the different mediums in each of the work and why you chose those different because there's some people, there's some pieces that have, you know, cutouts. You know, there's some prints, there's some painting, there's really bold colors. Tell us how your process went into layering and do those layers mean anything to you in each of the works? 
Yeah, so it started. It all starts with uh, I use roofing paper on it, um, gesso roofing paper, and gesso and seal on both sides. Mm-hmm. And so, one, I use that because as a material, folk artists use it a lot, and Najee Dorsey uses it in in his work too. And so, I don't know. It's 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 a very cheap material, <laughs> and especially if you're just exploring. Like, why spend two hundred dollars for canvas when I mm-hmm. can spend twenty dollars on right. a one hundred foot roll of yeah. roofing paper yeah. and basically do whatever I want to do. Right. So it was a big exploration. And so for literally months, I'm not I'm not not playing when I say that. <laughs> literally months <laughs> I had cut these big sections of roofing paper and I was just painting on all of them. So I used kind of the same technique I use with screen printing. You okay. mix up a back to paint and you just make your shapes okay. on all these pieces and just making shapes. And I just do that every single day with all kinds of different colors. And it was basically, in my mind, use every color except black. Because wow. black is, is the lim- part of the limitations right? that yeah. I was putting on myself. So everything except black. And that's what I did. Just kept layering it and kept layering it and kept layering it. And it was, I had these really bright patterns. And that's kind of what y'all saw mm-hmm. like in the back of the IG. And so as, they, as they're laying on the floor and just there, like eventually my artist's mind kicks in and I start mm-hmm. to see stuff. And it's like, it forms in your mind yeah, as you're looking it at just it. forms in my mind. So I, I began to see it as creating a world where blackness is supported yeah. and valued and different. Right. Yeah. And so in this new world, these all these abstract patterns I was creating, these people exist. Mm-hmm. What do these people look like? Mm-hmm. And and that became the, the next part of it, mm-hmm. like building up when I saw somebody in it and I started to see forms, too. So that's when I started cutting and just following the flow of this new thing and kind of putting it together and making bigger pieces and and just working it up. And so it was very intuitive. None of it was planned. Yeah. Right. So even when I look at it, I don't know where this stuff came from. You know, I think that's what I mean. It's funny because I can tell an artist go a little deeper. I, I think I went into one artist studio. I won't name him because it's his process. But, you know, I walked into a studio and it looked as though. I asked him a simple question. I was like, do you go into a trance when you create? He said, yes. How did you know? And I was like, because I can tell. Because <laughs> this shit's wild. Sorry yeah. to curse. But it's like, you know, in the same way with your stuff, you know, you can kind of get this eerie feeling like you just did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how it feels. Like you just did it. Yeah. And, you, and you, like the fact that you don't know where it came from, to me, makes it better art. Because it's literally from your spirit. It's from your heart. Yeah. Um, when you and you literally put your heart into it, Jennifer has a piece dedicated to her. Talk yep, about that piece. Uh, that that piece was um, beyond the next universe, and it's a woman in, like in bright red. Her favorite color is red. Yeah. And I don't know. Looking at the, one of the patterns one day, I just saw. I thought about her, and then thought about like how would she be visualized, mm-hmm. and it, and it's kind of this kind of warrior kind of mother pose. Like is, the figure is yeah. kind of kind of pregnant, and you know, breasts exposed, the hair is like these circles that were mm-hmm. going up, up and it's like full of like this texture and this bright red color and i don't know it just made me it's just kind of you have to follow intuition sometimes yeah and it was like yo that's what i i thought about jenner jennifer and that's what i put in there yeah like it's very it was very random and a lot of the pieces are like that like the, the piece growing growing is about my son yeah. it's like i just thought of him and that's this kind of image kind of emerged and i just let it yeah Melding your, I guess, your talent with the personal, you, you know, maybe talk about some of your influences because I, you, I can clearly see an influence and um, your artistry is there. But what influence did you get from, I guess, I guess, living and non-living artists? Oh, a lot of uh, David Driscoll is a big influence. You probably see him a lot in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Adrian Piper before. Yeah, too. Adrian Piper. I use um, some of her pieces. Like if you recognize the feet in the center of universe, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I kind of got from Adrian Piper piece. Um, and so as I was painting, since I'm, I don't consider myself a painter, I stay, I looked at a lot of painters mm-hmm. like Lois Milo Jones, yep. um, Afrocoba artists like Frank Smith, and Jeff right, yeah. Donaldson, yeah. Um, you know, just to understand color, even looked at Sam Gilliam, um, Alma Thomas, uh, a lot of people that were using color and used paint and understood it in a different way. And so I, I wanted to look at their work specifically because, you know, they have the answers. Like it's almost like cheating on a test. Yeah. Like you could look at their work and see kind of the connections that they made and just use it to try to make my own connections. So, you know, I can't paint as good as any of them, 
So, <laughs> so it's like a, it's just a translation of what I think they did in mm-hmm. words. And so that that's a to me that's a great way to approach it. But I've always referenced other artists like Roman Bearden uh, in my print work, um, Charles White. You know, all those people that you look at and just kind of build upon what they do. Because there's no need for me to try to reinvent the wheel. Like, not really. No, like, that's, I, mean, I don't think that's my job in yeah. doing fullness in the first place. I mean, place. you are re- I mean, you're reinventing your wheel because it's your work that has gone beyond what you, I mean, you went beyond your limit. I think it is very much um, reinventing because you can still be inspired by, you're not copying, you're inspired by and you created something yeah. from your heart and your mind and it's just, and it's beyond your limits. So yeah. I think that it's completely yours. Oh yeah. And, Own I, it. and I definitely <laughs> use, I definitely use like, Lois Milo Jones a lot in the in the show too. Yeah, not 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 so much like individual pieces, but her understanding of what she was doing and what yeah. she was communicating, like was was really great. And so I I love studying other artists and then seeing how they did it and trying to figure it out like their process. Yeah, figure out their process and make my own process. Yeah, in the video you mentioned the the black art in the absence of light, the documentary, how you were able to see. Oh like yeah, Driscoll yeah. Seeing Driscoll painting, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's so weird. Look at it, like the freedom of it. He just puts stuff on. He just puts stuff down. He's like, you know, he just grabbed a sheet of paper, <laughs> tore it, and like, oh, glued, glued that it down. down then he just put another line on top. It's like, yeah. wow, he just really didn't care. Yeah, like, and, and I, I know he cared. <laughs> I'm sorry, David. <laughs> I know he. May cared. he rest in yeah. in eternal peace. I know he yeah. cared, but it's like you do have to just let go sometimes, and and with. Printmaking is all process, right? Yeah. So I, I always it's step by step. Yeah, I always say the example. If something's wrong with my print, and I know I gotta check the registration, I check mm-hmm. the press, I check the ink density, I check the sentence on everything. Like you know, I know all the little steps. But if you're painting and something is wrong, you just have to keep painting. Mm-hmm. And that's a very hard <laughs> transition to make. There's, <laughs> there's no, no like fallback. a number to check. Yeah, there's nothing to check. to check. There's no fallback. It's, it's just yeah. you. It's yeah. just you and the brush and the paint. So yeah. like you just have to keep painting. And I did that for a long time. Yeah. And so a lot of the work to me developed a lot along the way because I think in the first piece, the center of the universe was the first piece I finished for the show. And that piece feels very different from the last piece I finished in the show, which was where I found comfort. Um, it, they feel completely different because yeah. I could see myself figuring out what am I doing? Like along the way, the whole time. And then when I did finish Center of the Universe, I felt like I knew what I was doing. Hmm. So then when I finished um, For My Brothers Lost and Found, I had a, I I think I know what what I'm doing. And so my confidence began to build as I was going. So I I think I could see it in the pieces as they go. And so if I was to make a show now, if I would start fullness now, I think it'd be even better because I, now I'm, I have an understanding and I've kind of able over the year to shake off this failed watercolor artist thing. Right? <laughs> I mean, there, there's still time to try more and try again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, keep I'm, going. I'm still, I'm still going. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep doing it. It might it, just be maybe watercolor, like uh, maybe realistic watercolor is not in your book. Maybe yeah, just yeah, using that's not, it. That's not my thing. In other forms. Yeah. It might be it. <laughs> just got to figure out what works yeah, for you. Yeah, that's, that's not it. my thing. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm figuring it out as I go along. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of that process is also like finding yourself and and not so much trying to imitate other people's yeah. artwork. I think people do that a lot. Oh, yeah. Where you, I mean, I, I agree. Because it's, it's a trend right now, especially with artists that are making, I, I see it as being based on Kahendi Wiley and Barclay Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Um, portraits of people surrounded by a pattern mm-hmm. or a color. Mm-hmm. Very simple, Barclay Hendricks, mm-hmm. Kahendi Wiley style. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the wax prints. Yeah. Um. And and a person standing in the center, like that. That's a big thing. But I. I don't. I don't like that. I don't like. I don't that. mind I don't influence, like but copying. I just. I, I always ask when I see somebody that is. You know, people will DM different curators or friends of mine, or even myself, and want their opinion about a work or their series, and they'll have like three works ready to go, and which is way less than you should have. <laughs> um. But it's still like it's there. They'll. They'll. It'll. It. It. Are they all seem the same? Yeah. And I'm like, what would you create if you couldn't see anything? Yeah. Yeah. What would come out if you didn't, you weren't influenced by swiping through Instagram and seeing art as visually as we can right now? Yeah. What would you create from your gut? That's what I think creates the best art. Because yeah. this, this one came 
I mean, this, this, these works by you are visually from your art, from your heart and your, oh, yeah. and your, in your spirit. I think so. And it's definitely, um, definitely meant not to be what everybody else was doing. Yeah. Because that can't be the answer to everybody's no. artwork. You know and I think it was the answer to your healing. Because, I mean, a lot of the, you know, as a, as a black man, we do have to go back to that because a lot happened in this last year. Oh, yeah. And you created such bright pieces from moments where you could have really became angry, enraged, as you should be, or fearful for your own son, right? Mm -hmm. Or fearful for your own life, mm -hmm. your friends, your family. How did, how are you able to like kind of cipher those feelings and produce such light and bright colored work? I think it, because I needed to, mm -hmm. right? That I couldn't sit with it anymore. Because, you know, you remember... <laughs> Remember when the lockdown first happened? It was like, oh, there's no toilet paper. Like, oh, it might not be no meat because they shut down the processing plants. It was like, it was crazy. Wild, like, wild. it was like, yo. And then my um, my wife ended up losing uh, her grandfather's wife and her sister. Oh, I remember you saying. That. Uh, and That's you know, it, it, was, it was really rough. So it's like, man, like this is serious, so serious. And it's like you're at home and you're checking the news, like every five minutes, just mm -hmm. waiting for somebody to say something. And stupid Donald Trump is telling you to to put light in your mouth like you know like <laughs> what is going on <laughs> you know, i mean i'm hopefully nobody ever followed that no I hope it, nobody it was such, you know don't drink the bleach don't yo. drink the bleach it was such it was such a weird desperate time like yeah. it felt like so much anxiety and pressure it was like you can't live like that no. like for forever so i i wasn't making anything for a while then after like a month i was like all right i gotta at least draw like every morning mm -hmm. so I, I drew before the cycle started of checking the news and all this other stuff. That's good. Um, I used to, I started drawing in my sketchbook because I, I had stopped making anything. And, and I, I don't know, it was just something about that moment of, all right, this is going to be a respite. And then kind of, I just expanded the respite mm -hmm. to keep going. So eventually stopped watching the news. Mm -hmm. Like I went out and did, you know, all the safety stuff that we had to do to protect the kids, but it was a lot of, all right, I can't let my my kids just see me like be obsessed and down and feel bad. Like I got to do something to to keep them up. So we started riding bikes, like nice. playing outside. So doing simple stuff. Yeah. So in well, essence, necessary stuff. In essence, I was finding joy in real life. In the present. In the present. Yeah. Like, in being here. That's, and like even that in this is this, key, people. Exactly. Let's repeat that. <laughs> Even finding in, joy in the present yeah even being in, present. in the most desperate moments like yes. it, it was a it was you know it was desperate people were dying and it's like yo i gotta just i'm just gotta be here and live keep moving and for this moment with my kids and with my wife and just watch movies and we just gonna cook out on the grill and avoid all people and, <laughs> and you know it did, that's gonna be our thing yeah. and so in that process i realized that was what was important yeah so even when george floyd happened it was like I can't yeah. like I can't like give myself back to that same struggle like this new place what I where I had to go in order to survive like the the point of the pandemic I like I'm gonna stay here mm -hmm. like consciously like I'm not going to let these people bring me back into some cycle of anger yeah. that I've always Mind over been influence in. yes yeah. and so I just stayed there and that, that was where everything was happening so I just let it happen and I thought I thought I found like that was a, a good break, right? Because all my work is like really charged up, and yeah. you know me, so yeah. it's like, I'm looking at a piece literally across <laughs> me with like something around this man's neck. What yeah. is it called? Oh, that, it? that piece is called scars. Yeah, and it's literally like a slave. I'm literally I'm looking at a woodblock in his studio <laughs> of a slave with you know scars on the, his back yeah. and um, a chain around his neck, and it's. That's where your work was, right? Yeah, that was that was the expression, right? Right. That was the the fight and, and the struggle. Maybe how you even felt still, even when not oh, having yeah. physically have scars in your back or being chattled like a cow, you still felt like that even in the moment of your home and seeing the effects that is happening. Yeah, um, with racism, racism in America. Yeah, because it's hard not to not to see yourself in in everybody in each, in each person, yeah. right? And, you know, way back to Trayvon Martin, like I was that age mm -hmm. in a neighborhood, walking wearing a around, hoodie. wearing a hoodie, yeah. you know, just doing nothing. And, right. You know, for that to be chased down in your own neighborhood like that, right. that makes you angry. Right. So I've been angry for a long time. Yeah. Like most I think of my, we all have. Yeah. Most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 my, if you ever talked to my best friends way back when I read um, the 
autobiography of Malcolm X. Like since that point, like I've changed. But it's like, interesting completely. because your spirit is not angry. It's not because you, you have an outlet. You know, yeah, I guess maybe I your outlet art is your outlet because you don't. If you ever meet Jamal, he'll probably talk to you because he <laughs> runs his mouth wherever he goes. <laughs> I but do. I do. That's true. <laughs> he likes to talk to people. He likes to explore. So he doesn't. You don't. Even though his work seems, you know, very centered on blackness, but this workfulness is such a bright light compared to, I guess, the struggle that he has portrayed in his work before. But he's not angry. But he definitely gets it out in his in his art. Yeah. Um, and we can all appreciate that. Hey everybody, this is Bisa Butler and you are listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Yeah. But you tell the story of history, but you also tell the story of now. I think doing 400 before this was was a turning point too. Oh, cuz you did you did a you did some color in that one. Well, no, I no, I it was just the focus of it. Like 400 oh. was about 16, 19, and 2019. Yeah. So I worked, I collaborated with um, it was several artists in 22 that. artists and made like 32, 34 pieces. It was a beautiful show, y'all. Yeah, it was a great show, but it was intense, right? Yeah. It was like to tell all these stories and tell his struggle with, you know, all these different facets of black life and yeah. just considering um, an overview of from slavery and all the stuff he went through, like being constantly in that mode for a year, mm-hmm. that probably burnt me out too. Yeah, right? oh, for sure. Yeah, that I needed to do something different just to not go crazy. How do you, how do you, what would you tell the artist? Well, actually, you know what? What would you tell the individual that says, I don't want to see, you know, slavery and art anymore. I don't want to see the struggle in art anymore because we've heard that several times. You know, now that, I mean, your art, this part, this, this fullness is joy, but you know, as a black man, you don't know when it might come up. You don't Mm -hmm. know how somebody's going to even receive the color pieces, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you say to the black person who wants to buy art but doesn't want to see struggle in art? Uh, then don't don't see it, <laughs> right? It's like yeah. it's, you you have a choice. Like ultimately, you have a choice. But I don't. I do not think on any that it's not necessary. Yeah. Right. All those pieces that I made before were necessary for me. Right. To exist and be here. And when you never know what time it is. Like I made to be free, uh, and it still references every new black person that dies like going forward mm-hmm. that piece is eternal like but it's like i consider it like a a classic piece for me and you know that piece is just as valid as um as beyond the next universe yeah. like about my wife yeah, yeah you know it's just as valid yeah. and, and all those and you know fullness is about that it's like the sense of autonomy in a space exactly yeah. fullness is about you you in a pandemic worried about whether you were going to live or die and have food, but also playing with your son. Like your, your life is that spectrum. Yeah. Like your life is in, in a single day, you can be happy and sad yeah. and angry and wondering yeah. and all the things like at the same time you have to be. So you don't necessarily have a choice to only see this and that, but those things have to exist for yeah. all the moments. Cause you have to acknowledge it. It would be, it would be a shame if we stop acknowledging the history of what happened, like it's so necessary in order to just to even understand and make room for black people still are denying it. Yes. And you will deny it. To this day. And and (laughs) if you never, if you never say it, you will deny it yourself. (laughs) You'll think that is some other reason why like the stuff is happening to you. Like I always say it, like when people do have black neighborhoods, right. They think that just happened. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't just happen. No, it's like purposeful. you could not live. And you had a serious about that places. too. Yeah, about like, the red line. Yeah, the you, red fences. That 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 stuff was. Yeah, this strong beautiful. stuff yeah. because you could not live there. You yeah. literally, by law, were not allowed. Yeah, they literally put us in a certain place. Yeah, you yeah. were. It was in the covenants where you could not sell mm-hmm. or resell or rent to a house to a black person. Mm-hmm. Like that's real. Mm-hmm. So you ended up in the areas where. Those were and they were concentrated and us in congregated, one place. and we're still there, right? So it's not that we just want to be until there. we're still there until they want to come and build a condo or a Pilates <laughs> studio, exactly until they until they need the land, right? But it's all it's all capitalism, and it's all you know us making room for each other. So if you don't tell that story, then you think that black people just love living here, and we just don't never want to go nowhere. Yeah. Like that's not true, yeah. And so if you don't have the full understanding of it, yeah. 
then you'll believe anything about yourself. Yeah. Right. You'll deny your own truth. Yeah. In in your thesis, you talk about your dad um, and you said something very pivotal about you want your son to see different. Yeah. Right. We are know all parents. You know, my dad is 75 um, and he had a he has a very interesting view of America growing up in Savannah, Georgia as a Southern black man, kind of, you, you know, even growing up and to go and get his PhD and, and accomplishing a lot of different things. There's still so much racism. Even he could be the VP of a, pre, of a company and still be the only black man in a room and, and experiencing so much racism. Like yeah. we still, we hear stories about our, uh, from our parents about what they dealt with and what they still deal with mentally and emotionally. Yeah. And he couldn't express that to you. He didn't know. He just knew he had to keep moving, right, throughout life. Yeah. And, right. And, and you. They were never trained to. to no. Right. right. They were they trained were, to just. They were actually told not to. Right. Not to talk about it. You <laughs> yeah. just be. Yeah. And deal with it. And yeah. keep moving. But you said something that you want your son to see different. That emotion, that, that level, that's a generation. One, that breaks generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. You're, you're doing something differently. Even with the process. Even though we're still kind of dealing with the same shit. You're. You're channeling it differently by showing your son that this this is what you can do. You can overcome these emotions. You don't mm-hmm. have to stay in that space. How has he, has he said anything? Because he's old enough to understand and see. Have you seen the difference to maybe you being his age with your dad to now your son to you? Have you able to, has he, has he been able to verbalize what maybe this work means to him and the difference in what you've done before? No, not my dad. No, no he would never. Yeah. <laughs> what about your son? What does he, what does he say? Um. You know, um, I don't, I don't, I let my kids engage with it as they see fit, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I see my place more as making a space that is full of art and love and in all the things, right? Yeah. And it's up to him to make the choice to engage with it however he sees fit. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm more looking at it as I'm still looking for what he will do. And I'm giving him space to do it. Yeah. Like I don't want to be as prescriptive because I think it would it would be very easy for me to like, hey kids, y'all come on in the basement with your daddy, like and mm-hmm. and make artwork. Like I can mm-hmm. easily do that, but I don't think that would be their choice because I don't think I don't they they obviously don't openly choose it. Yeah. And that's fine. Like you get to be yourself. Yeah. Like that's what I think that's the freedom that I want to give to both of my kids is that you get to be yourself. Whatever yourself is, whatever your version of black is. And I'll support you in that. And I will support and you. Art, but the generation before us didn't kind of allow it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of changing it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. that's, I mean that, yeah. Have, but and having you know, that as part of your research is even vital to how you output, how you. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, know and, and that's not a judgment on on the other generation. Cause no, they, not at they, all. They had to exist differently. They endured differently and I think than it we was, did. You know, we have different tools. We know right. different things. We have different books. and Different, different access. Access to, yeah. to things, different understandings of, you know, critical race theory and all this right. other stuff that they didn't have. And right. then that honestly wouldn't have helped them anyway. Right. Like right. he was, he was in a different right. struggle. Right. Like the kids. So he went through his struggle to get me where I was. And then we I had my right. different struggle to right. get my son to where right. he is. And so I'm still sitting in the middle, right? Mm. Because, you know, it's, it's a certain thing that happens with fathers and sons. And my boy looks just like me. So that's yes, why it, it, that's why it like hits me so hard because it's, it's impossible for me not to see myself wow. like as he's walking around the house. And even like, who would I have been if I had a house with four bedrooms in a basement yeah. Like, cause it was five of us in a, in a two bedroom trailer wow. in Littleton, North Carolina. Wow. Like, so it's completely different. Like right. the possibilities are already yeah. like bigger than what it was. Yeah, yeah. Way bigger than I could have imagined. So I'm, I'm watching him be who he is. And at the same time, I'm watching my father and still looking to understand who he is because I don't know his story. Right. Yeah. The same way that I look at my son, I can't tell my son who I am because I'm a 41 year old man and he's an eight year old. I don't have the time to explain to him and he doesn't have the capacity to understand Understand right now. No. So I just kind of have to let him be. So I'm, I'm to my father to me is this, this figure, this mythical figure that provided for me. Yeah. And kind of, I feel like I'm going to be that for him because he can't understand art the way I do or what makes me who I am. The same way I don't know what 
makes my dad who he is. Yeah. yeah. One of the quotes from your your thesis, I like these last two sentences. It says, identity is important to my work and the dynamics of the father-son relationships in my life are essential to my personal sense of self. I see myself in the shadow of the man that raised me and in the boy that I am raising. That's dope. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's real, yo. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting right there in the middle. Because, yeah. you know, I don't know. Everybody might not feel like that about their dads. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. I describe it as when you're a little kid, like you imagine your dad is the biggest person that you've ever seen mm-hmm. in your entire life. And so when you look at him, it's, it's you, your dad's face, and then it's the sky. And that, whatever that means, like in that moment, looking up at him and this kind of radiant kind of thing that's happened behind him, the heavens, like beyond his head, it's kind of that how I feel about my dad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. <laughs> so I had a question, but it went away because I just completely just went into your thought and I started going into other. Pe- so, well, well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here because I, in your thesis, you have poems throughout. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why is that? What do um, they what do they do to kind of, I guess, and help the reader understand? And you can read his thesis, y'all. It's online. Yeah. You can go you check can, it out. I'll put the link in the, in the in show. The, notes. In the show. But yes, I definitely think you should link it. But. You know, why do you drop these poems throughout their thesis? Because I think that I needed to adjust my input to adjust my output. Mm-hmm. So all the things I was reading and I list them in the book, it's like, you know, uh, autobiography of Malcolm X, like, mm-hmm. you know, the one for other sons, mm-hmm. like, you know, all these all these hardcore, you know, why white. So why, artists, make sure you're reading. <laughs> yeah, all the why, why black kids sitting together in the cafeteria, like yeah. all this stuff, like this heavy, heavy stuff. And so my work is heavy, mm-hmm. but it, that heaviness wasn't necessary in the moments of the pandemic. It wasn't related to the joy of the work. Mm-hmm. So I needed to have a different input. And mm-hmm. so I started reading Bone by Ursula Daly Ward. Ooh. And it's such a great book. Yeah. Like she plays with language, the way she plays with language, the way that poetry can play with language yeah. is something else because th- th- this is what I consider it. Um, They'll talk about being on a beach. They'll describe the beach, the sun, the light, the stars. Without saying like, it's the beach. They'll say, no, they'll describe the beach completely, but then tell you the feeling that they felt is like being hit by a car on a beach. Yeah. So now you, you've already built in your mind like this emotion, this mm-hmm. feeling like you, you manifested the whole thing and then they shatter it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea of the amount of creativity to make someone understand something to make them understand what you really want to say like that really has nothing to do with what they talk about but the beach you need to know the feeling of being on the beach to know the feeling of the beach being taken away from you and so i love that the way of thinking about language yeah and you talked about when you were talking about your thesis and your process of writing it i thought was interesting because you know when you layering the the poetry is also a way for you to communicate what you wanted the reader to get out of your work right because yeah. you had you talked about the difficultyness the difficultness in writing period yeah yeah because you're visual yeah right so talk about your writing process because i like the fact that you layered the poems in but i think it helps you translate your thoughts yeah so the, the main poem that you follow is nikki rosa by nikki giovanni mm-hmm. and so when i found that poem i thought like and this is this is exactly the story that i want to tell yeah with my thesis so it's like it's broken up into sections yep it is um and i think my writing process i've always had a hard time writing and i think it just goes back to you know high school or something writing papers and uh you know i th- I could have swore i did the best job i ever did in my life and you get it back and it's all marked up and you did it all wrong and so that that just destroyed my confidence and being able to say what I want to say in words on paper, but I know I can draw it, right? I know I can, I can make a painting or, or do a drawing or make a print that says exactly what I want to say, but I've always struggled with the words to do it. And so when I wrote my paper, actually it was suggested to me by other grads that because I talk about my work so well, they said, well, why don't you just say it and record it and transcribe it and so that's what i did so while i was working in the studio i just talked and recorded what i was gonna what i was thinking and that became the framework of the thesis yeah and so that helped me a lot because i don't have the pressure of writing 
and choosing the right words, the right Staring grammar, the with the right thing. Type of exactly. word, yeah. Like I don't have all that stuff. So I, I'm much more free with my words when I talk. Yeah. And so if you read my thesis, to me, it sounds like I'm talking to you. It does. No, you it know? completely does. Yeah. I can hear your voice as I'm reading. <laughs> and I like the fact that it doesn't sound overly academic. No, it doesn't. Even it sounds it like stuff you. In it. Yeah, it and has... no, it got, you got some words in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, throw some, you, you smart. I'll put it down. I'll put it, you know. <laughs> you study. Yeah. But yes, it, it, it doesn't. It feels relatable. And I think that is your complete nature in the first place. Yeah. I think no matter, I think your your output of your art is relatable. And yeah. I think your thesis says that as as all the many pages that it is, it is really easy to read. And I um, think art has to be that. Yeah. Like art have, doesn't have to be so academic and, mm-hmm. and up in the clouds and, you know, big words. Yeah, someone asked that in the Zoom people. one day in the chat. I was on a lecture and it was between an art historian and another art historian. Of course. Yeah. And the chat was like, you bound to have some words. They were in like, there. you know, how do you, why do you have to use all these big words to make people <laughs> feel like they don't understand you? Like, yeah. you know, you don't, but can't you just talk straight? And the guy, and he was like, not to be offended, not to be offensive or anything, but, talk straight like just talk to me i want to understand what you're saying yeah but when you use all this you know art historian jargon i can't get it yeah so to me it actually makes it less accessible and people talk about accessibility in that way mm-hmm. your work is completely accessible and understandable because of the way you see language the way you see emotion the way you put out your thoughts in your spirit and um, probably and how i process art too yes because yes. i was a full-time artist before yeah i went to grad school so like I know the importance. I know the actual physical art market when you meet people face to face. They don't want to hear you use all these big they words. Don't. They, they want to know just how you feel. So if you just say how you feel, they connect it yeah. more. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a balance that you got to strike between that because, you know, I couldn't just be like, you know, colloquialisms and slang and, you know, <laughs> all, <laughs> all in my thesis. Right. Like I had to jazz it up. But I think I think it's a good balance. It is a good balance. It is really good balance. So what now that you're done? Congratulations mm. with school. Yes. Cheers. Cheers ah, to that. Yes. I wish we had like champagne to clank clank. I'm finished and I'm done. You finished. And <laughs> is you finished or is you done? Yes, you is finished. But how, I mean, how does that feel? Because you, when you went back to school, because I remember even when you came into the gallery, um, where I formerly was employed, <laughs> um, you came into the gallery and you were like, I think I'm going back to school. You just said it really casually one day. I remember you just talking about, it. I think I'm going back to school. And I was, I was just like, do it. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you feel that urge, sometimes you should go back and learn. What yeah. was it like being a practicing artist going back to school to study art? It was weird. It was so <laughs> weird. Because you know, I was out for 15 years before I went back. Yeah. So, like, that's a whole lifetime. Yeah. And I don't know, it's just, it's such a different mode. Like, they do different stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> they read different books, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they, they, read some books. Yeah, they talk study. different conversations. Like, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I thought I needed, I needed a joke. Like yeah. the rigor, just to see like all the other stuff that was happening. Like reading some of these journals and like the concepts that people are exploring, mm-hmm. I think was really good for me. I think I needed like a to elevate my thinking a little bit. Like when you're in the gra- in the gallery system and and working and selling yeah. art, like as a working artist, it's you forget e- to go deep. You forget. You forget, and you yeah. just so like right there thinking about the transaction, and the hustle, right? and the I want to get this like, check, yeah, right, making right. work for this or right. that, you know. But it's it's bigger ideas that's happening. And it's a bigger space that you can exist in. Yeah. And so I needed to see that bigger space. Yeah. Like I wanted to see that bigger space. So I think it was really good for me to 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 go back to school and see it and just expose myself to like a different level of thinking and to give myself time and permission to do it. Like so I, I haven't done that many shows in the last three years. Like no, not a lot of group shows, not a lot of like other stuff. Mm-hmm. And just to focus on that and just improve and elevate. One of the debates in the art world that I've seen on Clubhouse and on Instagram and just people writing about it is that um, artists always ask the question, "Do I is it necessary for me to have my MFA? Like MFA versus self-taught or MFA versus BA. Like how does your experience equate to your MFA or do you need to get an MFA? What would you say to those artists that say or that are questioning whether or not they should get their MFA? I think it all depends. Like I, I well, don't think not I don't, an answer. Yeah, that's it. Because it's um, you know, me at forty one. Yeah, and I'm thinking of well, I was thirty eight at the time. Like me at thirty eight, uh, in a kind of a career that could either level off or get bigger. Like I still had an opportunity, and the way I looked at my work, the way I approached it, and what was valuable to me was maybe being able to teach later on in life too. Oh yeah, like so. 
So for me, that was a, a good solution and found a program that you didn't have to pay for. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is super important. Right. Uh, the the affordability of it. That's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, um, like that is super important. So to me, the answer was yes. Right. Yeah. But I've talked to other artists that may be older, that may be a different point in their career. Like it wouldn't help them to yeah. spend three years and now you 68 years old. Like with an MFA, like what is it going to do for you? Right. Like, I, you know, who, not much. I don't think it's going to do much for you. So yeah. I think it's more of an individual thing. Like you have to, one thing that uh, you have to be curious mm. to go back to school. Like you have to want, And be ready for the challenge, I feel too. You have to want the challenge. Oh, that's even right? better. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the hardest part is that like I can go to anybody's studio, yeah. give them a list of artists that they should look at. And tell them like your work is kind of saying this and that. But if you're not, if you don't even want to hear it, right. if you don't even want to question what you're doing, if you think you're doing the right thing, don't go to grad school. Right. Because grad school makes you question everything and justify every single thing that I you think do. It's so cool for an artist to have to question everything. It, it is. Makes you but, think deeper. but if you don't the want to, critical it, thought is important. But if you don't want to, yeah. It doesn't matter. How do you get? How else do you get that criticism? So maybe, basically, you're saying if you don't, you don't. I mean, if you're MFA, you have to want to get it. You have to be curious enough to get it. But maybe to artists, if they're not looking to explore their be their MFA, maybe simply just get with people who can criticize your work in a way that is one respectful and they're knowledgeable. And they can tell you how to grow in your space. Do you think that's a good solution? If if you if, want if you want it. that. Right. You know, some people you just need to, to have a it. tough love. Some right? people need it, but they don't. They still don't want it. That's right. Because they, like, they can't change. If they, yeah. don't, if they don't want it, they're not going to change. Just like it anyway. a woman. You can't tell a woman like, oh, you don't, need it. Don't bring it. Don't bring it. No, I'm saying no. I'm going to say it like this. I'm going to say it like this to say if I went up to a woman and said, hey, you need a man that's A, B, and C. You sound like Kevin Samuels. Don't do that. Exactly. And what, <laughs> what would she say? What would she say? I would literally wear my eyes and walk away. Exactly. Yes. You don't want it. You don't want to hear my advice. It don't even matter if I'm well, right. Well, that approach wrong. was also really awful. Uh, it is. But it would be grad school will feel like that if oh. you don't want it. Feels if, that abrupt? If you don't want it. Oh. That's the thing. Like, Ooh, it's all I, about okay, the attitude. If I you see don't, it. If you don't want people to. I feel that. If you don't want somebody looking at your work and saying, this is wrong because of. X, they got yeah. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. They, they have a great explanation about what's missing in your work, the flaws. Mm -hmm. But if you're not ready to let people expose your flaws and you to in, embrace it and then change it, then the Ooh. process is going to be lost on you. That's, so That's advice for you youngins. Okay? <laughs> so you have to have that <laughs> part. So they, they, they're having a, I'm a naturally curious person. So yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And it doesn't bother me for people to question my work. You should question yeah. it. Everything should be have to be because you definitely always you're you ask you like Lauren what you think what you think what you really think <laughs> what you really really think yeah and you know I'll be honest with you I'm like All right. exactly yeah. and I go with it most of the time yeah. anytime you tell me something I go with it because yeah. I always give validity to opinions yeah that's dope so what's next now you're finishing school you got through three years what do you Jamal want to put into the universe to be next for you you know what I'm I don't even think I'm in the right place to make that decision. Yeah. Honestly. Cause I, cause I've made all this work. I just finished these three years, literally like two weeks ago. And so you wanted I'm, to say it, settle just, in that. Yeah. I'm just not in the, in, in the space where I can even really look at what I've done. Yeah. That's how I feel. Like even at the show, like I get it, I see it. I still don't understand it. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like, that's why I'm always asking people, like, hey, what do you think? Like, hey, what do you yeah, think? You should your... Like, tell me more. You yeah. want to understand it from somebody else's Yeah, I want to see, like, what are you seeing that, that I've done here? Because mm -hmm. I was in the process. Like, I was there, like, yeah. you know, putting the paint down. That's, I still only see the colors that I mixed up yeah. and, and the layers that I put down when I look at it. So I don't even know yet. So I don't know. Coming out of here, I'll tell you that I do. I found out that I enjoy teaching much more than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I like the interactions that happen. I like how it pushes me to be different in my practice, to be able to explain it to somebody else yeah. and get them to understand it. And then finding joy in seeing somebody else understand it. Yeah. I think it's super, it's important, right? Is that it's easy to dismiss like teachers because you just think, oh, well, you couldn't have an art career. That's why you did it. Yeah. Like, no. They love teaching. Yeah. 
And so it's a joy that comes from teaching that I didn't know I liked. Mm -hmm. But now that I see it and like it, it's like I wouldn't mind doing that more. Yeah. But I don't want to sacrifice like where my paintings could go, like being locked down in one place forever. Sitting at a desk. Yeah, just sitting at a desk and like giving everything up for for just to teach. Like I don't think I'd be happy there either. Maybe so, you'll get to that point after you still produce more. Yeah, maybe I'll have to maybe. produce more. Maybe I'll have to re- re- rethink teaching practice mm-hmm. to fit what I want to do. You anyway. better get innovative next. <laughs> like, that's, that's it. No, nah, that's, that's true. Because, yeah. uh, you know, because I also want to do, I also, you know, it's always my dream to have my own uh, publishing studio. So make J Barber Studio, like, a place where people will come from all over the world to Atlanta to print yes. with Jamal like I would love that like you know real Bob Blackburn style I want to help I want to help everybody all the time <laughs> but yeah <laughs> just put, just nah, put yeah. me in a game coach yeah yes. so you know that's I've, dope. and I never want to let that go that to me that would be the ultimate yeah. like even if I, these paintings never like fly off the wall or nothing like if I could be like a master printer somewhere and help yeah. people prevent you know make stuff yeah that's what I want yeah and so I don't know. So it's so many of those different things, and right now they're all equal. Yeah. And you know. What so what do you do? Like, how do you choose? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you, I, you know, because it's funny because even with this leap that I just took, like we kind of just are both at the end where we kind of were just like, oh, what do we do now? Yeah. Like, what now? Like, so I mean, many- what now? It's, I, I think it's just gonna come. Honestly, I think you. I think you allow the universe to provide. I know that now that now I can put my focus on Black on Visual Art as my full-time small business mm-hmm. and my independent practice as a, as a curator and arts worker, as a full-time business, I can, I know it'll come. I'm, I'm now I'm available. I'm making space for it to become available. And yeah. now that you're done with school, this work has come out of your soul. You're making space for more to come to you. Exactly. That's, and it's, and sometimes it's not about not, not knowing what's next, but it's just being open to what is, what yeah. could be. Yeah. And you never know, like, even like, uh, I'm not sure, but sometimes like just having an MFA, Put you in a different conversation. Oh, for sure. Like that people that may not have noticed what I was doing now notice what I'm doing. Which is interesting. That's well, a whole nother interesting topic. Yeah, to it'd, it'd be a whole That's why the MFA self-talk comes up a lot. Because people, I mean, it's the recognition that comes from getting the MFA. Yeah. Like going through the process and the rigor, they know that you're capable of doing it. Right. And like they. It does. Know, it does. You, it does give you. It does give people that want to work with artists a sense of like reassurance of this person is serious about what they're doing yeah Yeah. in some instances it does a lot of that i think it's a lot of that it gives us comfort like okay he did they they're kind of serious about that okay cool and so you know so if if that leads me to be to get more opportunities that i never even considered too so i don't know what you think i should do follow your heart (laughs) use your heart not your yeah so i do i think it's i think you just follow your heart because that's all i'm doing right now that's literally all i'm doing is following my heart and going towards the work I think you do have to work, you know, you can't just sit there on your couch and just follow your right? <laughs> There is a level of, yeah, you have to, like, you, you have to submit, you know, to <laughs> different, you know, residencies, that, which are always great for mm-hmm. MFA students or former graduates or graduates of. Oh, man, um, I just did that, too. See? Man, I submitted to his residency. See? I, you know what? I'm so burnt out on doing stuff. I didn't even realize it. Like, literally, like, I was submitting that residency and it was like, Hey, make an artist statement. And I was like, what? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean, I, we could talk up offline about ways to just make that easier as a process because that is a fee that I, I charge. But we can, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you would, would know definitely like just, I mean, I think go to residencies, take a break, even go to Hambridge for like, go down to Hambridge for a, a couple of days. Like, oh man, do I got to apply to Hambridge too? You probably do. But I can't still. write can't write right now <laughs> but you know people you know those people though but like no we, we figure but either way there's like there's places you can go go to a cabin papers. and just be still for a little bit whatever it is i i would just say keep working towards submi- submitting your work in places mm. but you can take your time it's there's no rush yeah right i think whatever's meant to find you but also you have to intentionally do the work towards what you want and i think take this time to let your mind settle to rest because rest is important people Rest a little bit. Take a couple weeks and just like, or a month and just chill. Don't produce anything and just sketch and see what comes to mind and give your give your mind space to regroup. Yes. Right? Yes. That's the medicine right there. Because that mash up of what's happening in your head right now, <laughs> it's just going to continue to further exhaust you. There is no rat race. Nobody, there's no rat that you're chasing. There's no cheese, okay? Right. Just chill. chill. I would say just chill right now. Yeah. I like that idea. 
See? I like that. Do that. <laughs> this was dope. Thanks for having me as the host. Oh, no. Who I'm else, always who down else to would talk do it? To the J-Barb. Who else That's your new it? nickname. <laughs> J-Barb. Oh, that does not sound fun. But anyway, um, y'all go check out um, the show. I think this this podcast will be out by the time. The oh, show. yeah. It'll be okay, out good. by the time. You got to edit this. Yeah, one. it'll be up till June 5th. June. Boom. Um, make sure you go see Mint. Go, go see Fullness at Mint. Go see Fullness at Mint Gallery. Um, it is an amazing show and buy something. He yes. even has like, you know, it's a, it's a range of prices. So you can buy a circle or you can buy a big piece. <laughs> <laughs> he has some nice circle, circle. abstract piece. Get, get you a circle. <laughs> I might yeah. get a circle because I can't get a big piece, but I can get a circle. Uh, but go check it out. And uh, oh, now, now I get to turn the interview on you. What was your favorite Ooh. piece from the show? Oh what did you like? Um, I don't, let me look it up. The name of it is the one where she's sitting and she's pregnant and she's like, the, the other side of heaven. The other side of heaven. That's my favorite. I stared at that one for a long time. And I think it's just because of where I am in my life right now. Um, with all the changes yeah. that are happening in my world. I think I just res- I think that piece resonated with me a little bit just because of where I am emotionally. Yeah. But I, I like know. I mean, I like all of them. <laughs> Can I say that? That's good. I like it. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean there I mean this each piece has its own feeling its own space its own like embodiment but together it's like this i think i described it to you when i first saw the piece i was like you know how you have a like a one Roy show and it's you ha- you see the like you see each model at a time like one at a time mm-hmm. but then they all come out together and it's like oh shit <laughs> that's what it felt like i saw yeah. i saw some of the pieces but seeing them all together was this moment of like i felt you yeah and i felt like you freeing yourself from whatever stress you have, from whatever pain you felt, because it literally is 360, or 180, 360 would be the same thing, 180 from what you have done before with, you know, identifying the strife and the struggle, you literally shed light into, and it just, in mint space, it just shines even more with those giant white walls they have. It just looks, it just looks amazing. Y'all have to see it. It, it And then then the the scaling, he went big, y'all. He went real big. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, they're real big. They That's why they're big. so expensive. I don't have wall like that, but if you do, <laughs> now's the time because yeah. his prices aren't going to get lower. He got his MFA now, y'all. y'all oh, better yeah. get on it. I, I gotta, he real, he I gotta real go deal. To you got to keep, keep rising right. to the top. <laughs> you better go ahead and collect now because it's not going to get any easier to collect his work. So check it out. Fullness at Mint with Jamal Barber. Thanks for having me on Studio News. Oh, yes. Who else was it going to be, Lauren? I don't know. You got mad <laughs> friends, Jamal. I okay. <laughs> you got all the friends. Okay. You got all the friends. Yeah. Just introduce me one day to somebody. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren. You're I welcome. appreciate Thank you. Thank you for having me, y'all. And I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the conversation. Holla. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big thank you to Lauren Jackson Harris for coming on the show, interviewing me, talking about me and my work. I sure do appreciate it. Y'all check out Black Women in Visual Arts. They got some great stuff going on. Next week, we'll be back with more with Leslie Do Good. Do Good Press, printmaking. You know I love it. So you know it's going to be a great conversation. Can't wait to share it with y'all. All my artists out there, keep it moving. Keep doing your thing. Make that noise. Make that noise. We back next week, y'all. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast. <laughs>